If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 6, we are in part 7 of our series on the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, starting with verse 9. It says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. God, my Father, God, I thank you, Lord, that we can, God, that we can come into your presence. Father, I pray, Lord, that you ready us, ready, ready me, Father, uh, for what I'm about to say. God, I pray, Lord, that you will, um, that you would be glorified in all that we do tonight, Father, that your name be hallowed, Father. And God, that your will be done. God, we thank you for all the many blessings that you have given us, Father. And we, we ask you, Lord, that, that you would continue to shower your grace upon us, Father, that we cannot take another breath without you, that we depend on you for everything, God, in our lives, Father. And you give... Uh, only good things to your children, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless us with those things. And God, I pray, Lord, that you will forgive us, Father, where we have failed you, Father. God, where we fall short. God, we know that we, we have to rely on the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness. God, I ask, Lord, that you would uh, help us to forgive one another and to have a forgiving spirit, Father. To understand that we have been forgiven and that we need to in turn forgive. God, I pray, Lord, that you would lead us away from evil, from temptations, Father. God, that you would um, give us an escape when those temptations come, Father. That you would be faithful to provide that for us, Father. We love you. We thank you, Father. The glory is all yours. It's all in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, we talked about a real short recap, um, and I, you know, I know I've been doing this, but we're going to continue to do it as long as we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, which will probably be one more sermon. And, um, and so here, you know, we see that the Lord's Prayer is divided into two sections. We talked about it last time. And these two sections, the first part of the Lord's Prayer, it teaches us how uh, we're to view God. And the second half of the Lord's Prayer really is teaching us how we view ourselves in response and in relationship to God. And so, so when we look at, uh, you know, what is it? What does the Lord's Prayer teach us about God? How to know God? For one, we need to know Him as a heavenly Father. We need to know Him in that relationship that that He's not an ordinary Father, but that this is this is an extraordinary Father. This is, this is an out-of-the-ordinary Father. Uh, and that, that His name be hallowed. That's what we pray. We pray that His name be hallowed. And that means that we're lifting up His name as holy. He is holy, but we're magnifying His name as holy. And we're asking that His name be hallowed in our lives as well as, uh, as really everywhere on earth. That, that we really, when we ask for His name to be hallowed, we're asking God to, to give more worshipers to himself. We are asking God uh, that that he would be worshipped by more and more people. 
And we ask that his kingdom come and his will be done in our lives as well as others. It's a bold prayer. It's a a prayer that says, God, you know better than we do. It's a prayer that says your way is right over every other way that we could go. The, the thousands and the millions of avenues that people could take that, that all of history has tried, that those are all been tested and have proven false. And that only His way and His will is sufficient. And that's what we're asking, that His kingdom come, His will be done in our lives as well as others. It also, um, the second half, teaches us what we need to know about ourselves. And, and so we ask for daily bread. Daily. I, I find that just remarkable, you know, to think that this is a everyday occurrence that, you know, a lot of times we don't think of that as Americans. We think, you know, we think of future, right? You know, we may not have to worry about where we're going to get our next meal. Most of us in here probably don't have to worry about that. Now, the world is different. But America usually tends to not have to worry about where we're going to get our next meal. But here what this is saying is is we rely on him for bread. Teaching ourselves, even as Americans, that yes, if he decided to, he could take it away. That we don't get to just say we get bread today. That it can be all taken away. The next breath is not guaranteed. The next step we take is not guaranteed. The next heart beat is not guaranteed and so to have that mentality that we rely on him for everything that comes that's really the way that we need to look at it we don't need to take another step without viewing it that way that that i can't take this step without him and that not only that i can't take it without him i don't want to take it without but i want him to go with me and so he offers provision and and the The prayer also teaches us that he's the one that pardons us. No one else. That we ask him for forgiveness. It's a continual, continual repentance. Asking forgiveness and to have a heart that knows that you need to be forgiven is a heart that can in turn forgive. And and so that's what we we, uh, pray when we say um, that forgive us our debts, but also Give us the ability to forgive others, to forgive others their debts as well. And so he's the one that we rely on for pardon, for forgiveness. And then we should also realize our need to be safeguarded against satanic attack. And that for protection, that that's, that's part of our prayers, that we are to be protected against evil. And not just the evil one, Satan himself, and and all the, the demons and principalities, all the things that we have to face that we can't even really even see or touch, but also ourselves, that, that we need to understand that, that is evil. we are evil in and of our own nature. And that when we ask that the Lord would deliver us from evil, we're, we're asking that he would deliver us from ourselves as well. And so to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. Uh, we know that trials will come and we ask God that we would be ready for them, that he would give us a way out. So we rely on him for provision, for pardon and protection. But as we continue our study on prayer tonight, I really want to look at some other uh, key 
themes that we see in the Lord's Prayer and really throughout the Bible. So we'll look at other scriptures tonight as well. So I hope that by the end of this, um, that, that you'll not only see, but, but hopefully be able to apply. We don't want just knowledge tonight. We want application of that knowledge. And so uh, I hope that you'll see this. We're going to look at four things about prayer, two of them tonight and two of them the next time that we meet together um, in which I'm preaching. So, so number one, that prayer is a personal conversation between you and your Heavenly Father. Number two, that prayer should give you new and better perspective. Number three, that prayer should be offered up with persistence. And number four, that prayer is powerful even today, even for you. Okay, so we'll look at those four things specifically tonight. The first two mentioned and then the, the last two the next time we meet. So, so to pray to a personal God. Now, to be honest with you, this one is going to be a little bit repetitive, I know. Because we talked about that Heavenly Father relationship. But, but I've really prayed and I've really dug um, as deep as I could, could dig. And I'm praying that, that I'm offering up something that, that will, um, if you don't already look at God as your Heavenly Father, that you'll see that tonight. And if you do, if you do, if you've already got this, I pray that I offer up something that will challenge you in a new way. And so, so here we know it's personal. Or we should know that. And I want you to know that, that this prayer life is a personal one. Uh, it's one in which the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then he answered and he taught them how to pray. And so are there principles that we can follow in prayer? Yes. Uh, can prayer be reduced to merely following principles and regulations? No. Is there a magical formula? No, there's no magical formula. Are there examples, though, that can lead us? And are there directives that can command us um, using the Word of God concerning prayer? Absolutely. Absolutely. That There's things that we can look at. So how is prayer personal? Now, corporate prayer together, you know, what we, you know, many times we do, um, is both necessary and it's fruitful. And we will discuss corporate prayer at a later time. But tonight we're really looking at individual prayer life of a believer. The individual prayer life. So a couple things on how it's personal. Number one, how is it personal? Many times Christ would go into desolate places to pray. If you don't know what desolate means, it means away from people out in the middle of nowhere. And when I think of desolate, I'm like, that's in the middle of a desert, in the middle of the woods, on top of a mountain. It's into an area that no one is going. He is getting away from people. He's getting away from distractions. And not only Jesus, but we see other men of God in the Bible go into desolate places to pray. And Christ even says in Matthew 6, to go to your father in secret. In a closet. That's what he says. Is that that's where we should go to pray. Is away from man. So why does he want us to pray alone? Why does he give us that advice? Why do we see Jesus doing that? Well, I think a couple different things that you could look at. Number one, that is a test of faith in it. Because, you know, if you're praying in front of people, where's your reward? You're praying in front of people. Is that you're looked at in many people's eyes as holy, right? You know, you're, you're that guy that's 
praying before your meal. You're that guy that's uh, on your face praying before work. You're you're seen, and and it's uh, it's this level of you know um, status as as I'm the believer that you know holier than that. And so so that's what it tends to be, or, or that's what it, the temptation can become. And so so praying away in a desolate desolate place. Because there's no one to impress but God is really a, it is a test of faith. Also, number two, it's also a way to take away distractions. That's another reason why I believe that God wants us to pray in desolate places. That we need to go and get away. That we need to take prayer time and get away in a, in a certain setting. That's what he's telling us, that, that there is a place that we need to go. That we need to set aside both a time and a place to get away from all the distractions in the world. I was thinking about, you know, um, as I was studying this, I was thinking about corporate prayer. And I don't know about y'all, but when I when I tend, even in a um, church setting where y'all are my family, there is this tendency for me in the middle of praying to not think about God, but to think about that I'm praying in front of everybody. And I better do it right. And instead of addressing God and my focus to be on Him, my focus is then, it's it's a distraction by those around me. I don't know. Maybe y'all don't deal with that, but I know I do. And so, I I mean, sometimes I'd almost rather not pray corporate prayer. It's been a challenge for me. It's a good challenge, challenge to my faith. Um, inside the body of believers, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just know it's a challenge. And that and that we're it's one that when we're working on our prayer life, it is one that we're supposed to as we um, as we practice prayer. He gives us a directive. He gives us these examples. And we're supposed to follow his lead. So, so are we setting aside time? Are we setting aside a place uh, where we can both get away from distractions and also not be in hypocrisy when we pray? And so, um, you ever you ever tried having a conversation with somebody when they were conversing with somebody else at the same time? Two conversations going on at the same time? A little frustrating, right? Um, you ever try to talk with somebody while they were talking on the phone? <laughs> Have you ever gotten in trouble for talking on the phone or texting when maybe, I don't know, your wife is trying to talk to you? I have. You know? And so, so I mean, imagine, you know, I, I know for me, when I think about my prayer life, I think that's that's quite often how it is between God and I. When I talk to him, next thing I know, I'm all thinking of other things. And and that's how hard it is as, you know, corporate prayer can be for me as well. Because I'm all, you know, thinking of other things instead of focused in on the one that I'm speaking to. And so, so how is it personal? Well, the way that he describes it, we're supposed to get off by ourselves with him. He wants us to himself when we pray. It's personal. Another way that we know that it can be personal. Jesus wants us not to offer up empty phrases. 
I believe that there are at least two ways to consider what he says empty phrases. The first is just out of tradition. You know, those who recite things without even thinking of them. I mean, Christians are guilty of this, I know. I know I've been guilty of this before. With the Lord's Prayer, that we can recite these things and not even think of them. There are religions all over the world, even today, that chant things over and over and over, hoping that they can chant long enough or hard enough or loud enough or with the right pronunciation, that whatever God that they're praying to, hoping that that God will answer their prayer. That somehow that they can find favor with this God with the little g that they offer these prayers to. Um, and so we can relate to this, I believe, with relationships here on earth. If a husband were to tell his wife over and over and over that he loved her, but yet never showed it with actions, right? He says it with words, but never shows it with actions. Would his words be meaningless? Would his words be empty phrases even? And so I believe that we can get there as a people that we can say things, uh, and, but our words are empty phrases. Or that we can get to a point where out of tradition we just recite these things. Um, but I've noticed that about my own prayers, that sometimes my prayers, especially in a corporate setting, they're not real. You know, they sound almost the same from one to the next one. You know, I've noticed that about myself. And it it worried me when I was like, is that empty phrases? Have I gotten to the point where it's just traditional and and is meaningless? Matthew 15, 6 through 8 says this. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, these people honor me with their lips but with their heart is far from me. So prayer is personal. He, he wants our heart. He doesn't just want our lips. He doesn't want, he doesn't want us to just you know, go to Him in corporate prayer. And He doesn't want us being distracted by the things of the world. He wants us to Himself. He wants us to Himself. And so prayer is personal. Prayer is a conversation. It must be personal in nature, and just as our relationship with God should be personal, prayer should be personal. It's how we speak to Him. And so, so one of the things that we need to be careful of is what type of relationship we view ourselves and God in. What type of relationship we view ourselves as God? Is it that we view Him as an equal? I would hope not. You know, I, I see, I've heard. I have heard prayers that sounded as that, that that God is, you know, the big guy up there, the my homie. I mean, I've heard people make light of Him and addressing Him, and and that should concern us. He's our Father, who's in heaven. Hallowed be His name. When we approach Him, yes, we cry out, Abba, Father, but we need to understand the magnitude of the one that we have His ear. And so, so do we look at Him as an equal or, or do we look at it as a transactional relationship? Transactional relationship, I've, I've mentioned it before, it's kind of like with the boss and the employee. 
Like you're the employee that's the boss. If if I do something bad, then then I, I fear the boss will you know come down hard on me that I, that I might get fired. But if I do something good, I expect to raise. Kind of like the landlord tenant, you know, relationship transactional. If I do good, I expect good things. But if I don't do good, then I expect bad things. Is that the way that we look at God as well? Or do we look at Him in a father-son relationship, a, a father-daughter relationship? And that's so, and that's so key. You may, you, know, you, you may be like me, where you know that it's father-son, but sometimes you treat it more like boss-employee. Sometimes you treat it more like equal. I don't know. I mean, and, and so, so to, to be able to, to be able to be honest with yourself. Yes, I know this is true, but, but how do I act in that relationship? How do I speak to him? Or, or do I, or is it non-existent? Is it kind of like that long-distance relationship where you don't even see the other person or speak to the other person hardly at all, and then you expect to be close? You know, and so. People tend to change their behavior around certain people, don't they? Y'all know people like that? If you think hard enough, you probably are people like that. Don't don't even kid yourself. There's certain people you act probably different around. Maybe not. I mean, maybe not. But but I mean, think about it. Um, and I'm I'm gonna hopefully I'm gonna give you some things to think about that hopefully will. Um, you know, as you think about them, maybe compare yourself in the relationship with God in these areas. So, so for instance, okay, some people have bitter relationships with their fathers, right? And in those bitter relationships, sometimes because of the bitter relationships with their fathers, people who remind them of their fathers or their fathers themselves, they are bitter or angry towards, Right? So they may not be normally a bitter or angry person, but when they get around their father or they get around somebody that's you know, connected to their father, reminds them of their father, they may grow bitter or angry based on that relationship. Um, sometimes there are people, um, y'all, y'all, are there some people you feel really comfortable around, extremely comfortable around, and those who, who you don't, where you feel insecure around. Those who you feel like you cannot be yourself around. You know, your behavior can sometimes change by uh, the people that you're around. Sometimes there are people who, are there people who can walk through the door and you instantly feel joy? Is there anybody who's ever felt that before where, I mean, they can, they can walk through the door and you can forget everybody else in the room is there. They just, I mean, just their presence brings a smile to your face. There are people like that for me that, that just bring me joy being around them. And, and then there's some people, I think, that, that you know love you like so unconditionally, that are so non-condemning that you can share anything with them. You can tell them everything, you know? And, and then there's some that you won't tell anything because you know they'll run and go tell it or they'll think down on you or something. And then there's sometimes there are people that, that you see as a parent. You view them as a parent and you look to them to guide you. You want them to tell you what to do. You want them to give you advice. 
You see, we can change the way that we behave based on those relationships. Now, now I want you to think about that, the way that we enter into. So is it is it important how we view God? Is it important how we approach God? Is it important that we know who He is and who we are to Him? The Westminster uh, Larger Catechism says this, that prayer should engage the affections and with due apprehension. Due apprehension of God's power, His majesty, and His grace. You see, when Moses asked to draw near, or excuse me, yeah, when he asked to draw near and see God's glory, y'all remember that scene? What God tell him? Refused at first, right? Said, no, you can't. You can't see my glory. Why? He died. It killed him. It killed Moses. Said, no, you can't see my glory. God only allowed Moses to see what? His back. So he only let him see a piece of his glory. Moses is protected from God by who? From God. Isn't that something? That's the gospel, isn't it? Protected from God by God. You see, Moses still wanted God, even though he knew that wanting God in that way was dangerous. It was dangerous. That God is dangerously powerful. In fact, in Exodus 33, Moses declared that unless the presence of God went with the children of Israel, then Moses did not want to go. It's like, if if you're not going with us, if you're just offering protection, I don't want just your protection, God. I want you. And if I can't have you, then I don't want to go either. I'm not going if you don't go with me. That's... That's his heart. That's what his, that's what his heart had come to. He didn't want just God's protection, but he wanted God himself. It is with the same heart that David proclaims it is better one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. It is with the same heart that we see Paul say to live is Christ, to die is gain. And it is with the same humbled heart that seeks God even in doubt that Peter said in John 6, when when Jesus had asked him, you know, why didn't you go away, you know, the twelve, why didn't you go away with the thousands who turned their back? And he says what? You alone have the words of life. Where else shall we go? It's with that heart. That's that's the heart that he's approaching God. So so to pray with and toward perspective. So, so we talked about um, that it, it must be personal, but and the reason why I link these two up tonight is because we have to pray with and towards perspective. We've got to do that. How we see God in our personal relationship with Him will drive our prayer life. It will drive in how we pray to Him. Number one, many times people's perspectives changed based on their present company. We've established that already. We spoke of that. That, that our um, our behavior can change. That's why many times some people act different in, in front of different types of people. We discussed that earlier. But sometimes the way that you look at present company can not only change your behavior, but it, can, it changes your perspective as well. Sometimes, for instance, um, the sometimes people act different in front of the preacher. 
Y'all know anybody who acts different in front of the preacher? I've known a lot of people, even non-believers, that will act different in front of the preacher. They they may be they may cuss like a sailor, but around the preacher, what? They'll try not to. I mean, not everybody's like that, but there's a lot of people who are. Yeah, and it's a it's it's a it's an attempt at respect, but it's futile, isn't it? I mean, there there is some respect there, but but it but it's like temporary change of behavior. So there was no heart change, right? They respect the preacher, but only went around him. Yeah, and so and so many times, um, you know, this when we're in present company, it can it can change behavior because it changes our perspective. And so and so those temporary times that for that moment it changed their perspective. Those people who might do that, who might say something in front of other people, but they would get around a preacher and not say it. What they what they've done is that for that moment. They're faced with holiness, aren't they? They're faced with questions in their own life of their character. And for that moment, they're willing to change their character. But only for that moment. But what is it? What gets us to that where, where, we're, where it's not just for a moment? Where we experience such a radical change in our perspective that it changes our whole heart. That it changes our whole direction. And it's not just... Now, it's, just, it's, that, it's that it doesn't matter when we pray or where, where we pray. It's always, it's always fervent and centered around God. It doesn't matter who's standing beside us. You know, it, it's that it doesn't matter where we are or who's around us, that we always are striving towards holiness because it's God at the centerpiece of our heart. And so... So, I mean, when I think about this, you know, I thought about Waveland. Caleb remembers Waveland. And we were in Waveland. It's in this community in the hood. And that church was right there in the middle of that community in the hood. And, you know, every day we went and we played basketball with these kids. And then we got to preach to them. And I told them they were going to hell. Then I hated them. And, uh, and, uh. I shouldn't have gone there. And so, so then that last night comes and Chris, Brother Chris gave his testimony. Awesome. And in the middle of his testimony, I think it was in the middle of yours, was in the middle of Brian's. And the vehicle came by. In the middle of Chris's. And this vehicle comes by. And as it's approaching the church, let me back up. There was this the, the pastor of the church, or one of the head deacons, I think he was, was he was one of the leaders of the church. Um, I could tell right away he was a no-nonsense guy. I had this kid that was uh, there, and, and the, the man wasn't there at the time, and, and one, of the, one of the kids, he was like slapping the other kids on the back of the head, and I was fussing at him, and, and he was taking the church door, and it didn't have a door stopper, and he was slamming it into the wall, and, the, you know, you could tell, I mean, people had done it before. There was an indention in the wall from the doorknob. But, I mean, it was getting worse. And, I mean, I stopped him, and I said something to him. You know, I looked at him, I said, boy, you nothing but a bully. You know? And uh, I said, um, I said, you're not, we're not going to be doing that. Of course, he didn't, he didn't respect me, just to be honest. And, and so I said, oh, I got, I know, I know what to do. I've been, I've been around uh, guys like that uh, pastor before. I could tell what type of guy he was. 
So I told him when he came back. The whole neighborhood heard him scold that kid, didn't 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 they hate him? And the kid quit. I mean, he quit messing around. I didn't have any more problems out of that kid. Well, now fast forward to Chris's sermon. Same man. Um, Chris is preaching, and this car is riding down the road, and you can hear the music from down the road. And the closer it got, you could see that the pastor was in front of me. He was looking. He started getting a grimace on his face. And next thing you know, he starts walking out there towards the road as that car's getting closer. And he's doing this. <laughs> hey, what'd that car do? Oh, yeah. They cut it down. And then about 10 seconds down the road, what'd they do? Cut it back up. Temporary behavior, right? There, there's, there was a sense of respect. There was, a, there was a change of character for a moment, but then right back into um, the way that they truly are. And so, so, you know, I started thinking about, you know, like how perspective needs to allow a heart to change, how important that is when we approach God. And the children of Israel, you know, they had they had a position change. They had a change in position. They were slaves, and then they were freed. And so, you know, here they are, you know, slavery one moment, freed, and they experience all this goodness of God. They see all these works of God on their behalf. You know, that they see these miracles, and you think there's no way that they can go back to the way that they were. But yet they did. They, they start complaining. They start to, even though they were free, they were still in bondage, weren't they? They were still in Egypt because their hearts were still in Egypt. You know, they, they had had this change of position, but yet that change of position did, did not offer enough, up enough perspective to change their heart. God had to do much greater damage to them to get them um, to obey, to break their hearts. He'll do that to us. He will rent, he will, he will rent our hearts in two on to get us to the point of brokenness. They had a very skewed perspective. We'll do that. I mean, think about it. Complain about your job. And then God will send you somebody. He'll, he'll, you'll see an unemployed man begging for food for his family. Complain, complain about the meal at the restaurant. And the next thing you know, you'll see, you'll see a starving child on the TV with their belly poking out. Complain about your legs hurting. And then you'll see the man in the wheelchair. Complain about your kids. And then you'll meet the mother who lost hers. You know? It's all about perspective. You know, and, and when we allow that perspective to, when we got our eyes open to it, you know, we got our eyes open to it. When our perspective changes, our hearts can change and they need to change. When we think about our concerns and our needs and our condition and our desires without thinking about God, we are, we're by nature selfish, aren't we? 
We're by nature, we're self-serving, we're self-preserving, um, we're, we are scheming, and we can become like the crabs in the bucket trying to, trying to get out, pull the others down to rescue ourselves. We can become like uh, the female spider, right, who eats her mate. That's what we do. I mean, we're self-preserving. When we enter into God's presence, we should, though, have a change of perspective. It can't be the same. It needs to be different. And it, it, we need to meditate on His Word. You know, we need to, you know, see Him for who He is. Now, we think about this: if we enter with knowledge of God from the right perspective, i.e., what does that mean? If we have read His Word and we have a healthy view of God and ourselves, so not just of God, but but God and ourselves. We are now forced to communicate with God. We're forced to communicate with the God that we know about. That's kind of scary. And it should be. It should make us pause. Like now, we're not just going in willy-nilly. We know. Like we have knowledge of Him. We have read about this God. And that's the God that we speak to. That's the God that we have His ear. That, that has our attention. The God of the universe. See, we have now knelt before and we speak to the one who realizes and knows our deepest and darkest sins is the one that we address. The one who sent his son to die for us. You can no longer just think about him. Right? When you go to speak to the one that you know about that you have knowledge on. You can't skim past it or sweep it under the rug. You're faced with it. You're faced with who He is and not only that, who you are. When you speak to Him, you are forced now in front of the King who you read about. It is, y'all forgive me if this analogy falls really short, but when I say it likens to the moment, that's what I mean. I don't mean that it is exactly like this but think about this the moment that you build up enough courage to go before somebody who you have offended that you have wronged it's it's likened to that moment when you've thought about what you're going to say when you've gone over it in your head and you know this person but you don't know how they're going to react you know what i mean it's, it's like into that moment where you built up enough courage to, to muster up the, the courage to, to go before them or, or to go before that, the, the person who you develop feelings for and you're gonna, you find the courage to go and tell them how you feel. You know, to, to tell them of the affections of your heart. It's, it's, it's like into where you've heard about how the principal is and now you sit before him and you're about to... You're about to feel his, like you're about to experience what you've only heard about before. Are y'all following me? We take what we know, what we have knowledge of, and now we're about to experience it. We're about to stand before the king. We have his ear. We have his attention. The one that we read about, now we get to know intimately. We get a taste of a meeting with Him. Psalm 73. If you'll go there. Psalm 73. Starting in verse 12. 
Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches, all in vain. Have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence? For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. This psalmist is like, why? I mean, I'm doing good. I've cleaned my hands and I've tried to live a good life. I've washed my hands in innocence. But I'm the one that's stricken. I'm the one rebuked. I look around me. Behold, look at all these wicked and they're at ease. They increase in riches. But then look in verse 17. He said, it seemed like a wearisome task until when? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Where did his perspective change? Nothing changed in his position. All those things that still happened. But it was was in the sanctuary of God. It was standing before the king. It was standing in front of truth. The truth of the word. That, That set him free to speak. Set him free so to speak. That now he sees, he discerns, his eyes are opened. Because why? Because he's standing in the presence of God. God can give us perspective. Timothy Keller says it like this. Prayer can be like waking up from a nightmare to reality. It can be like that, can it? It should. We laugh at what we took so seriously inside the dream. You ever done that? Like you wake up and, and it was a nightmare. And then you're like, whew, man. And you kind of laugh at yourself because you probably, I don't know if y'all have done it, but I've woke up like really worried before. Like it really happened. And then I was like, man, what was I worried for? You know, it was just a, it was just a dream. Just, just a dream. It really I even have to tell myself, like, calm myself down. We realize that all is truly well when we do that. Of course, prayer can have the opposite impact too, though. It can puncture illusions and show us who we are and more spiritual that we're in more spiritual danger than we thought. It can be like waking up from a pleasant dream to a more difficult reality. So prayer can lead us to shake ourselves and say. These two things. Why was I so scared? This can't hurt me if God is with me. But it can also lead us to say this. Why was I so oblivious? How could I have justified this? See, prayer brings perspective. It shows the big picture. It gets you out of the weeds. It reorients you where you really are. That's what it should do. For those moments in our life where, where we're... The, the worry warts where we're not allowing God to, to give us direction and peace where we're worried about every little thing and we think we got to scheme our way through life prayer should do that it should wake us up to the reality that He's in control it should bring us joy and peace but then, but then on the opposite end of the spectrum when we're just going through life and we're sweeping our sin under the rug and, and, and we're doing things our way, 
then prayer should do that as well. It should, should do the opposite thing. It should, it should wake us up to the reality that we're living. It should take us from our little dream bubble and it should burst that bubble into the reality that we need to repent, that we need to seek Him. And so that, that's what it should do. Now I'm going to leave you all tonight with a look at some of the Psalms. Because I believe that the Psalms can give us uh, direction as to how to approach God. In what way? Because there's so many ways that the psalmist approach God and uh, that we can learn from. So many of the Psalms were petitions to God. They were petitions to a God who held the writer of the Psalms life in his hands. They were pleas of rescue and salvation. If you look in, now I'm going to paraphrase a lot of these. But if you look in Psalm 40, from a plea from David to to be rescued from the Lord. And for the Lord to come quickly, he says, calling the Lord my help and my Savior. He knows who His help and His Savior is. That's who He's addressing. You're the only one that can help me. You're the only one that can save me. It's a plea, a rescue attempt. That He knows that the only way that He can be rescued from His enemies is through God. So do we do that? Is He our plea? Is He the one that we go to for rescue? Is He the one that we go to for petition? There were also pleas of repentance in the famous Psalm 51. David declares that the only one that he sinned against was who? Against you and you alone have I sinned. That's who we offend when we sin. He has sinned and he asked God to create in him a new heart, clean heart. As far as I can see, this is a, a man named Ole Hallisby or Ole Hallisby. As far as I can see, prayer has been ordained only for the helpless. Prayer and helplessness are inseparable. Did y'all catch that? If you don't think you need help, then you ain't praying. And if you don't think you need help, then you need more help than you realize. This is what Keller says. You cannot... Excuse me, Augustine said this. Keller said the next one. Um, you cannot truly pray until you account yourself desolate in the world. Talked about desolate places with nothing, right? Well, until we consider ourselves desolate, that's what one of the fathers in the faith, Augustine, says. That unless you, unless you count yourself desolate in this world, that you have nothing, you really truly can't pray. Keller says prayer in some ways is simply connecting Jesus to your helplessness, your sense of fragility and dependence. And I would also include desperation. They were, there was also prayers in the Psalms that were childlike requests from a son to a father. Prayers for guidance. In Psalm 131, it says it like this. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up high. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great. And too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child to its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Do we go to him as children that know that we 
that we depend on Him for everything, for guidance and direction. We're so dependent and desperate. We're just like a little infant. Prayers for protection in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He is our protection. Do we pray? Do we view him first? Do we view him as our protection? Have we meditated on what this means? Do we see him as our protection? Prayers for guidance. Psalm 25, 4 and 5. Make me to know your paths, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Do we look to him as our guidance? Do we pray to him for our guidance? There were also in Psalms prayers of thanksgiving and praises to a God who deserves all the glory. Psalm 138.1 I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. And then the Psalms were also like love letters many times. They were declarations of love and adoration. In Psalm 45, it says this, starting in verse 13. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with the robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. You see, if you study Psalm 45, you'll realize Psalm 45 is a messianic, um, it's a messianic psalm, which means it's about Christ. And it was referred to in Hebrews uh, 1, 8, and 9, where, it's, where part of it is quoted. And so this is talking about a king who's going to get his bride. It's a a song of praise, of adoration, and love, of intimacy. Not not in a strange way, not in a sexual way between the bride of Christ and, and, and Christ, the bridegroom. But in a very intimate way that that we need to understand. That God wants us in that intimate way. He wants it to be personal. For we are the bride of Christ. We should see him in that way. In an intimate way. There are people that we would surely die for, right? You love them different than you do others, don't you? If you're honest, there's people that you love differently than everybody else. That, that, that you wouldn't even think twice about stepping in front of a bullet for them. It would come natural. You wouldn't have to talk yourself into it. God has given these relationships to us, I believe, not, not as a way to, the, to be the end game. They're, they're not the treasure, are they? You would treat them as the treasure. You would give your very life for them, but they're not the treasure, are they? They're not 
the centerpiece of our world, or they shouldn't be, that we might be happy with them forever. But rather, they have been given to us as a glimpse of the love that Christ has shown us when He laid down His life for us. Think about your little babies that you would no doubt give up your life for. Our love is so imperfect, but yet we would do it, wouldn't we? Now imagine, that is the love with which Christ went to the cross. And an even more perfect love. But it gives us a glimpse. They've been given as a piece of grace that points to us to the real centerpiece, Jesus Christ. So as we look at what prayer should be, and, and, I, and I hope, I hope that, that what this does in all of us, I mean, I think y'all knew that, that prayer is supposed to be personal. And I, and I believe y'all know that our perspective can be skewed at times and it needs to be changed. I pray that, that, it, that if you struggle with those two things, um, I pray that it won't be just a knowledge of it but that God will allow us grace tonight that we'll get to experience those things as we go stand before Him that, that we, would, we would go find desolate places. That we would set aside, you know, not just time, but a setting. A place where we know that we can get away. Where only He will be the object of our affection. Uh, a place where we can be alone with Him and we can give Him just a piece of our lives back. And that during that time that we will gain real perspective of who He is and who we are. And that it will, it will greatly bless you and this church, you know, and the people you encounter. Let's pray. God, my Father. God, I, I, I pray, Lord, authenticity. God, pray, Lord, that, that we would be authentic in our prayer life. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would... God, with the words that were spoken tonight, Father, I pray, God, that that you will work out um, what needs to stick. Father, you'll give us grace, Father. You'll give me grace where if any mistakes were made, Father. God, that you would strike them from our memory and that we will hold on to your truth. Father, we rely on you for everything, God, and, and we know that. But, God, I pray, Lord, that, God, that our perspective will be changed to such a point that our lives will be radically changed by that thought, by that belief, Father. God, that we would, we would see great change in our lives, in this church, in the life of this church, Father, because you have you've opened our eyes to it. God, that we can no longer be the same way. God, it'd be like, it'd be like those, those feelings we get when we do complain and we see somebody in worse shape, Father. We realize we should complain, Father. God, I pray, pray Lord, that, that you would go with us everywhere we go, that we, that we would desire you such to a degree that we wouldn't want to leave your house. We wouldn't want to leave your presence unless you go with us. God, we, we believe that you go with us. We believe that that we carry your spirit with us everywhere we go. 
God, I pray, Lord, that, that we would be mindful of that at all times, seeking to please you in every step we take. God, that it won't be wearisome to us like in Psalm 73. But God, our perspective will be changed to such a degree that pleasing you, living for you, doesn't become a wearisome task, Father, but it becomes our greatest desire on earth. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, for his redemption our souls, Father, through his sacrifice. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.